Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the, to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast, MWR.com, which is what we say every single time, Matt. Check it out. There's cool stuff over there. We have basketball starting up as well, so keep an eye out for that type of stuff going on. But we're here, you know, football week 11, and this is a, well, that's a pretty big week, Matt. We got every team in progress in a game this week. Conference mm-hmm. standings are a tr- title game eh. implications for lots of games, some rivalries going on, so... We had games Friday night in Vegas. It's good to go. Yeah. There was a brief moment in time a couple couple months ago where I thought about going to see this game, but the hotel prices, whew, a lot, a lot of people out there and on the strip for the three-day weekend, apparently. Yeah, long weekend, Veterans Day on Friday. So it's, uh, what is the drive for you? Is it about six hours? What's the distance? Six hours, yeah, give or take. <laughs> same same for me, about the same distance coming north to south. You're going west to east. So, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, that's tough, man. When hotels that much, it's like, come on. Because you can get in for only looking at the ticket price, about 30 bucks. It's not bad. So, not, too, not too bad. One, so that one opening, day. One day. You'll get to – I've driven by Allegiant Stadium many times. It blocks out the sun essentially down I-15. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a big one. So Fresno State, UNLV, Friday night, 730 Pacific. CBS Sports Network. Are you surprised me that your Bulldogs, your own Fresno State Bulldogs, are almost a double-digit favorite on the road? Not necessarily, because mm, why is that? Because I do think that you know UNLV has had some bad breaks over the last month or so. It's like on paper, it's very easy to think that the Bulldogs should win this one on a walk. But you know the Rebels got healthier last week. They got Aiden Robbins back from injury. They got Doug Brumfeld back from injury. Kyle Williams was a little further back. On, you know, from being on the mend for a few weeks. So they, it wasn't like they were hopeless against the Aztecs. You know, as we talked about in the, on the last recap podcast, it was mostly just a matter of red zone performance, which yep. is something that, you know, both of these teams have in common. Like neither of them have necessarily been all that great when it comes to converting red zone opportunities. You know, Fresno State, for instance, has 42 red zone tries in nine games. That's the most in the conference. 
but their touchdown rate is only middle of the pack, only 50%. That's actually one area where, despite the fact that UNLV has been inside the 20-yard line fewer times, and despite last week's disappointing performance in that regard, they're still number one inside the 20 in turning touchdowns, 67.7%. So I, I see on paper that you know UNLV is getting closer to the team than it was in September just by virtue of getting some of those key offensive pieces back in particular. Um and, you know, of course, they also got Ricky Johnson back. You know, he played for the first time all year last week against San Diego State. I don't think we mentioned him in the recap podcast, but he had an interception in that game. And so I, I look at all that and I see a game that sort of like last year's game where Fresno State came into the game as a huge favorite. UNLV snuck up on him. And lest anyone forgets, the Rebels had the lead in last year's matchup with less than six minutes to go. In that game, so wasn't I, there a quarterback switch as well, probably through injury-wise? I can't recall exactly. I just noted it was a very back-and-forth affair. Um, yeah, because I do, I do you remember know, Charles a couple Williams times. had a big game, and you know they, they really sort of snuck up on, on the Bulldogs. And so with all of that in mind, that's why I'm not necessarily surprised that the line is a little closer than I think a lot of people would expect, especially given how Fresno State has looked since getting some of its own key pieces back, like Jake Hayner and, and guys like that. Yeah, that I, I, I'm trying to see who came. Because I remember last year UNLV had all those one possession games. I'm trying to see if this is a game because Williams had a big game. Because Brumfield did come in and lead the, the team. In it Russia was one University. of them. It was thirty-eight to thirty. Yeah, this is thirty to thirty. One of many they had was it five or six last year they had. Mm-hmm. They're super close. I'm trying to pull up here. My freaking I sliced my finger, folks. I can't use my computer as well. Uh, Doug, Brumfield and Cameron Field played. I think. I don't recall that. Brumfield had two touchdowns in that game. They both combined for almost 300 yards. I'm trying to see who came in. But regardless, it was a close game last year, and Rebels are getting everybody back is what they've been, how they've been playing better. Clearly, the red zone stuff that you went through thoroughly, which is awesome. They're getting close. They're not getting touchdowns, which is not the thing they want to do. Looks like Brumfield was injured in that game, and Cameron Frill came in. It's one of those many games where the Oscar starter played well for a half, and the next week was down the drain. Yeah, and, but and the I, Bulldogs, I think, too. I was just going to say the Bulldogs too are also dealing with their own injuries. You know, we, we talked briefly, I believe during the preview podcast or the recap podcast, I can't remember which that, you know, the, you know, right tackle Dante bull was out for the year. So they had to replace him last week with Braylon Nelson, mm-hmm. you know, now a few days ago from uh, Jackson Moore over at 27 sports, 24, seven sports, excuse me. Um, you know, a couple more key pieces out for the rest of the year too. Trey Watson, you know, tight end was having a solid year. Braylon Lux cornerback, might have been their best cornerback throughout the year. Um, you know, third on the team in tackles, three TFLs, two sacks, also seven pass defense and passive, you know, pass breakups as well. So it's not like Fresno State's coming into this game at full strength either. You know, given what we know about UNLV and their willingness to throw the ball down the field, you know, losing a guy like Lux, who has been playing great for for most of the year could be a big deal, especially against uh, an offense that, you know, has Kyle Williams back. Nick Williams, of course, had a big game last week, had a long touchdown catch, and, you know, still has Ricky White hanging around. He hasn't been quite as explosive in recent weeks, but that doesn't mean that element of the game isn't available for the Rebels. That's a good point. I I still think, like, here's the thing. When first note, yes, they have those guys get missed out or they're injured or limited. They have the best play to field. Jake Hanner's back. 
You have Jordan mm-hmm. Mims healthy. You have Cropper finally, after a couple weeks of him playing, slowly getting back in and playing well where he's fully healthy. That's all Fresno needs, I'm just saying. Like, UNLV, we've seen what they can do. They're not a bad team. It's not to say, oh, they're going to just get worked or Fresno's going to beat them by three touchdowns, which possibility. That possibility, I would not discount that by any stretch of the imagination. But I think when you have your best player, the best quarterback, best receiver, one of the best running – like, they have – Legit, Hayner, Mims, and Cropper could considerably be in the top three in the Mountain West at each of their respective positions. True. So, if, with all those guys back, I know losing offensive linemen, that's always a concern for Jake Hayner getting sacked and pressured. I honestly don't recall if that's why he got hurt in the USC game through being sacked or whatever it may have been. It's a while since what, exactly what happened Yeah, there, there was a Solomon Bird banged him up on that one. Ankle injury, yeah. yeah. Form, former Cowboy there, God, switching teams. But – Point being, like, those guys are the, the best at their position, just about t- can be make the case. Like, Mims is third in rushing yards per game, nine touchdowns. Copper, we know he's in the past couple of years, and including this year with even not playing full strength, he's number three in yards per game, only three touchdowns, but only, well, I guess he's played every game, but he's been kind of limited a bit here and there. But he's still up at the top of the conference in receptions per game, yards per game, touchdowns is all what's lacking. And part of it, when you have a backup quarterback, that's not going to be, you're not going to find him, even then, that's top 10. So they have offensive to just kind of run the show if they want to against this rebel defense. And UNLV's cool. shown, like, I, I think that's the case. I don't think, I know they got rebels got their secondary and a couple guys back there, Kim Oliver and other players, but like Hayner, legit, like I was talking with these guys in El Paso, like who's the player of the year? I don't know who it would be, but I think Jake Hayner is the best offensive player when he's out there in the whole conference. He True. just missed some games. And I would not disagree with that. I, but I do think that one of the things that both of these teams have in common, so I think it's going to be an X factor for, for both offenses, is pass protection. Because yeah. on, on the one hand, neither team throughout the season has been particularly great about protecting the quarterback, no matter who's been under center. But it's also true that on defense, both of these teams have top 25 sack rates in the country. The big difference is, and I think this is particularly true coming into this game off of last week, is which UNLV pass rush is going to show up. Because as we mentioned in the recap podcast, you know, they had you know six sacks last week against San Diego State. So they they managed to get to Jalen Maiden just as often as Jalen Maiden managed to sort of you know counterpunch and get a lot of big plays in this game. But you know, given you know those sort of relatively similar sack rates, the big difference is that UNLV's pass rush has been a little more feast or famine. You know, 19 of their 23 sacks on the year have come in just four games. And so I think one of the things on the one hand is, given that Fresno State is undergoing a little bit of shuffling on their offensive line, can UNLV take advantage of it? And conversely... Maybe. Yeah, I I would say the same is also true of of, of Fresno State going up against Doug Brumfeld. Like, can this be another big game for someone like David Perales, who, you know, on paper probably should have, uh, you know, an advantage against someone like Davian McDaniel? So I think there's there's sort of individual matchups all the way around to keep an eye on with that in mind. But I do think that's, you know, whichever pass rush asserts itself more consistently in the game is going to yeah. give the team a massive advantage over 60 minutes. Yeah. I Looking at overall what's going to happen, I, they, you know these defenses, obviously, I know they played San Diego State last week. You mentioned you have the quarterback, but it's still San Diego State. Come on. If UNLV has any of those similar red zone issues last week with multiple interceptions, 
field goals or just not scoring, this is not going to be close. They're going to have to get touchdowns to win this game. I think they can score some points because Fresno defense is fine. We know it's okay. They got some guys back too. But I overall, I just I for some reason I don't think this is going to be a close game because Fresno's click wants to be clicking game three for Hainer back. I see they're going to run away with this one, honestly. Well, to your point, you know, one of the other things that's going to be really important for UNLV in this game is taking care of the football, mm-hmm. which they didn't do last week against San Diego State and has been, and maybe this is an obvious point, but it's been one of the things that has doomed them most often when they've lost games this year. When they have a zero in the turnover column, they are 3-0. and When they make even one turnover, they're 1-5 and altogether. Yeah, okay. It's not so good. taking care of the football is going to be it's going to be a big deal for them. More important for them. So what are the advanced numbers say on this particular one? So, uh actually, you know what? Interestingly, they're all sort of right in line with what Vegas is forecasting. So SP Plus likes Fresno State, they give them a 73% win probability, uh projected margin of 10.8. FEI also likes the Bulldogs uh by 8.9 and Parker Fleming at stats o war on twitter his advanced stats preview gives the bulldogs a 64.54 percent win probability a projected margin of about 30 to 25 okay what do you think is going to happen then i think both offenses are going to have their way in this game interesting so at a minimum i would probably take the over but i do think that Fresno state should be able to outlast unlv i've got the bulldogs winning 37 to 31 Okay, it's over 60 and a half points. Yeah. I oof, I, I think I'm going, I'll take the over barely, but I'm going 42-21 for Fresno State. I think it's going to be a really good game. I I hope so. I like lots of points, but I just, I think Fresno's too good. They're like I legitly put, I, I'm trying to remember if I put the number one in our power pool. I don't think I did because they do have four losses. But I think when they're as healthy as they are right now, there's nobody close in the conference to them, so. I'm still writing that thing. All right, next game, Saturday. <laughs> All right. Oh, did we mention this game was Friday night? Yeah, Friday, 7.30. Yes, we did. But no, what, you're a chuckle? You don't think that's the case, that they're the best team when they're ready like this? Healthy back? I mean, when back? they play like this, yeah, this is this is the team that we sort of expected to see all along. Okay. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Just put out there. Okay, next game. New Mexico Air Force. We have a pretty big spread. This is the only game at the moment at the at this time slot. Twelve thirty Pacific, one thirty at the Academy. It's gonna be cold, Matt. I'm just saying it might be under eh. Maybe, okay, maybe mid-40s. I'll actually be in the area, but I won't be able to stop by to watch the game because I'll be unfortunate. But hmm. Air Force is a whopping, oh, my gosh. Tw- oh, have you seen the line and spread for this game? I was like, going to bring it out to everybody. Have you seen what this have, is, Matt? I have not. Okay, over the line, the spread, 21 and a half for Air Force, which that's pretty big, but that's not too bad. The over-under is 37 and a half. Oof. <laughs> they don't trust this Lobo's offense, which – Again, why would you, right? No. <laughs> I definitely see that. Oh, my gosh. That is bad. Air Force is coming high off their CIC win. Getting the 150-pound-plus trophy versus Army. 
think that's interesting about the line. That, that game was low scoring game. What was it? 13 to 10, correct? Last week? Before they got the uh, game when he interception? Yeah, I believe so. Low score. Very low scoring. New Mexico's defense is 13 solid. to 7, actually, wasn't it? Uh, whatever. 13 not to 7, many, yeah. Not many points were in the game. That's all. I, had, I just scrolled all. down on college press box, so yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. I knew, I knew Army was driving with a chance to win, so I knew it was either 7 or 10. So, but New Mexico's defense is fine. They're good enough, but it all comes down to the same thing. Can they limit the big play from Brad Roberts? John Eldridge, is he going to be healthy to play? You have Hazy Daniels. Obviously, we know all the names of players. The big thing is the point total, like we kind of joke about that. I don't know what, unless Air Force scores quickly or in every time we get the ball, they're going to just run the clock. They're going to do their thing and just kind of eat, eat away six, seven, eight minute drives and score touchdowns. So if you want to actually put your hard earned cash, that over on that line of 41 and a half might be. It's tempting, but I still would say no because I don't know if there's enough possessions to do that. And Air Force and New Mexico's defense is good enough to probably force a field goal here and there. But I just think they'll get worn down. This I think the second half is where the game could get out of control. I think New Mexico will probably hang and do a few good things, but on defensively, I should say. But unless the defense makes some turnovers early and forces a couple drives that are fewer than like six plays, it's going to be a long afternoon. Yeah, and I mean, especially considering. You know, New Mexico's offensive woes, it's going to put a lot more pressure on their run defense, which, you know, other than the blowout to Fresno State has still been pretty good this year. You know, on the yeah. season, they're still give, they're still allowing under four yards per carry. Uh, but the trick in this game is going to be whether or not they can, you know, keep the Falcons from nickel and diming them. So, like, even if, like, Roberts and, and Eldridge the third and, or whomever – lines up at that backfield, even if they don't get like big explosive plays, like 15, 20 yards or, or like a 40 yard touchdown or whatever. Yeah. But the keeper in New Mexico is that they've got to be a little more adept at getting TFLs than they have been to this point in the season, which is sort of a surprise given how good they have been, or at least, you know, solid they've been in that regard. Their overall stuff rate on defense is actually 101st in the country which I was not aware of until I looked it up right now, only 15%. So like, that's about like what one out of every six run plays. Something like that. Yeah. And you have to figure against the Falcons, you're going to be getting like what 60, 70 run plays. You know, I think if you're looking for upside, they have been relatively consistent in that regard. You know, they, they have no fewer than three TFLs in any game this year. But until last week against Utah State, they had no more than five in any game. They had eight against the Aggies for the record. So I think that the capacity is there. And, they, and they've and they done it mostly by sort of throwing numbers at the problem. Like they don't have a Joey Noble type guy on the defense this year. But what they do have is 11 different guys who have at least t- two TFLs, which without looking at it team by team, I would guess that that is probably the most in the conference but they're going to need every last bit of that against this offense, especially from the guys up front. So, I mean, it's it's going to put a lot of pressure on guys like Bryce Santana, Ian Shewell, Jake Saltonstall, and those linebackers have to be on point when it comes to attacking, you know, wherever the ball ends up going. There's going to be a lot of pressure on that front six one way or the other. Yeah, that's what they're going to need to do. And it's like, they have enough guys out there. It's like big plays, but... The big, it's limiting the big plays. That's what they need to do. It's like maybe, 
I just well, like I said, it's, it's, I don't think down. that's going to be enough though, because if, no, no, even no, if no. they can't limit big plays, they have to limit like their third and one, third and two, third and three opportunities. Like yeah, they, they, they keep they a third have and to long. get into the backfield at some point. Yeah, it's got to be maybe a third and five or third and maybe even third and four where Air Force might where it's difficult just to run to get that play to get those yards. Yeah, like if you let, can make them throw. You know, one thing that I think is going to be really key on both sides in this game, you know, obviously you were probably not shocked to learn that Air Force has only earned 65% of its first downs on early downs, so first and second down. So that's 97th in the country. As you might suspect, though, they're one of the better teams in the country on offense when it comes to moving the chains on third and fourth down. Their success rate isn't even 50%. That's 17th overall among FBS teams. New Mexico on defense, however, is 22nd on third and fourth down success rate, you know, 36.5%. So even if they do end up in those short yarded situations, you know, whoever wins the majority of those, you know, third, third and two, third and three, I guess if you just want to call it third and short, mm-hmm. that like, that's going to be your ball game right there. That I think is yeah. where it's either going to be a Falcons blowout or a game that's a little closer than a lot of people would suspect. And then it comes down to, you know, can the Lobos financials on offense? That's an entire whole other conversation. Yeah, that's, again, yeah, you're right. Third and short, they they can't have, Air Force can't go third and two, first down, third and one, first down, fourth and one, yeah. get a first down. You got to keep them at least three yards at mo- minimum, like, well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a good amount of yardage where, they can't do a fullback dive in. Brad Roberts or Izzy Daniels can just reach over and get the first down. Exactly. And th- they'll get those. It's just limiting the like, – it's not shocking like how how poor Air Force is on first, those first downs because they're not going to – not running. They run all the time. They're not getting 10 yards of carry. Like at five or six or four to six, which means it's yeah. the mi- middle down. And, I mean, and, and here's, here's the down. other thing too. Like, you know, we I'm, I'm almost certain that we had to have had this same conversation last year. Probably. When New Mexico was also pretty good at defending the run, but if it, I think it is instructive to look back to last year and maybe to 2020 as well. I wonder if this is just a bad matchup for this Rocky Long defense because you know in 2020 during the pandemic year, it was maybe their worst overall performance when they lost 28 to nothing and gave up 5.7 yards per carry, and then last year when they lost by four touchdowns, they gave up five touchdowns. Uh, on the ground uh, and gave up 5.6 yards per carry. So per- perilous times, I think, for for Rocky Long and his and his 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 men on that side of the ball. Yeah, it'll it could it could just be a matchup thing where his defense is good, just not good for this. And that's could be okay. It's not great, but it's what happens. Like, you know, let me flip the side of the ball. New Mexico has no offense. Like quarterback situations a mess. They. There's no point in talking about their offense because unless they, like first Utah State, they, or yeah, Utah State, they were not, they were not good. Obviously, they they don't have anything offensively. They switch quarterbacks. They, they did get more out of their ground game last week, barely. But yeah, that's about all. Yeah, they I have. would say you know going even going back to the main game, like it was probably considering the opponent because Utah State had been pretty good about you know defending the run themselves and. New Mexico did manage a handful of explosive plays on the ground. You know, Nate Jones had maybe his best overall game of the year. Yeah. On a per game, on a per carry basis, it was their best performance against an FBS opponent all season long. 
And so I think there, there is some hope there to sort of try and limit the damage and, and maybe do what Air Force likes to do and limit possessions in this game. But the problem is, you know, the Falcons up front are still better about, you know, getting into the backfield, you know, in terms of like limiting big plays on the ground. Air Force's, their opportunity rate on defense is just outside the top 25 in the country, 42.9%. It's actually 26th if you want to get real specific. So like the they've one... been pretty good about defending the run themselves. And so like if, if Justin Holiday can't find any kind of improvement in the passing game, it could just as easily be a situation where the Falcons know exactly what New Mexico wants to do. They want to be a run first team. And then you just, you know, you key in that, that front seven on defending Jones, defending Christian Washington and, and whoever else is in that backfield mm-hmm. and just focus on shutting that down, forcing the quarterback to make mistakes which, you know, through two, three games, he hasn't really shown that he can. Yeah. I guess the one thing will be good if the running game gets going to maybe limit the blowout situation or honestly to help the defense stay a little fresh so they can run the ball a little bit instead of doing three and outs all the time. If Jones can get a couple first downs here and there and get even a little bit from Holiday, that could at mm-hmm. least stop the bleeding. Because like, if the defense goes out there and Air Force does a 12-play, eight-minute drive – Scores a touchdown. The Mexico goes three and out in two minutes. Your defense is back out there again for another five to ten minute drive. Those get gassed, and that's where I think the second half is just going to be a runaway train for Air Force. Mm-hmm. So what are the advanced numbers say in this one? So uh, SP Plus, as you might suspect, likes Air Force big time. 94% win probability, projected margin of 27 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, FEI also likes the Falcons by 25.5. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Air Force a 78.35% win probability, projected margin of about 21 to 10. Man, this is going to be... The points are always interesting just because of Air Force's uh, long di- long distance drives. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Air Force is winning. They're going to cover... That thirty, what is it, thirty-seven and a half? Is that what is that what it is for the over under this game? I believe so. Yeah, low. I think it'll pass. I think I'll go thirty to ten for Air Force. I think Lobos will get a little something. I just don't. I don't know, man. I think no. it's going to be gonna a shut real out. bad. I think it's going to be a real bad day for the Lobos. Thirty um, to ten. I don't, even, I don't think they're going to shoot. I don't think they're going to shut him out. But I think it's going to end up looking a lot like last year's matchup. I'm going to say thirty-eight to six. Okay. All right. Next game, we have game whoops, game number two in the weekend, or game number two on Saturday, three in the weekend. The Border War. The bronze boots on the line. Wyoming travels to Colorado State. Eight and a half point favorite for the Cowboys. 5 p.m. local time on CBS Sports Network. I did notice, Matt, CBS went to a three and a half hour window instead of three hours. So the, hopefully the beginning of this game will not be re- reverted to uh, cbsports.com backslash something to stream the game for a minute. <laughs> So oh, I think well, they may have Air, Force, Air Force is pretty tidy about getting games done on time. Well, there's that too. Plus, it's not a three-hour window instead of three and a half, which is yeah, exactly. a nice change. So did you see Sonny Lubick, Lubick uh, hyped up his uh, Rams former Rams team? I did not see that. He, he went to hang out to go on Monday, chatted with the with the team. And so apparently, because a couple guys don't aren't super familiar to Robert, Sonny Lubick, is he a Hall of Fame coach? If not, he should be. He's really, really good. He, yeah, I don't even know what the parameters are for coaches, but yeah. 
players are stupid. Some all American status, which is a joke, but yeah, regardless, exactly. he spoke, he spoke to the team this week, the Rams team and Avery Morrow, the running back who's not super familiar was locked in. He's like, God, oh, when he's talking, I was paying attention. This is a great thing ever. Just kind of hearing what Lubick was saying about it, which I, it's just pretty cool. You see these former coaches who've been around, like, let's go talk to the team. Cause uh, part of the reason get the team hyped up because Rams team, Matt, as we noticed with Gene Orville, they're kind of underperforming, and I'm trying to be nice about it. They're not been good this year. Work in progress. They're sitting at two and seven. So, yeah, it's just pretty cool. So he comes and talks to the team, discusses how big a deal it is for the community, the program, how many times he's beaten Wyoming, stuff like that. Um, and also, obviously, it could help towards next year because that's what they're working on. They have three games left at two and seven. And I'm not going to say there's not a chance this game because Wyoming's been okay. Actually, no, I lied. They're not. They're better than okay. They have a chance to win the division title. They've just been in some close situations. And so being an eight, an eight to nine-point favorite seems about right. I thought partially because of what Wyoming does offensively, which is okay. But it's pretty cool to see some little bit go chat with the guys and kind of get them hyped up for this game because Rams need all the help they can get. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the trick for Wyoming is are they going to be able to get off to a fast start against a, a Colorado State defense that – I'm still not going to say that it is great by any stretch, but over the last month or so, they have been a little bit better. Like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, not the, you know, notwithstanding the Boise State blowout. Mm-hmm. Basically, going back to the Nevada game, you know, on a on a per points per drive basis, they've been a lot better than they were in non conference play, in particular. You know they they have they had three games in a row against Nevada, Utah State, and Hawaii where they were under 1.5 points per drive, and they've slipped back a little bit against better offenses in the last couple of weeks. But I do think that there is something there for them. I think the you know, the trick for Wyoming is I think it's a lot is going to fall on Andrew Peasley in particular if he's going to be able to get off to you know a strong start, which given his performance in the first quarter of games in particular, isn't necessarily a given. You know, in he granted they've only asked him to throw 49 times, which it doesn't seem like a lot. That's actually the third most pass attempts of any Mountain West quarterback so far. Hmm. But he's only completed 51% of those throws, only averaging, I want to say like if if my math is correct, about five yards per attempt. You know, 207 yards. Actually, not even that. It's 4.2 yards <laughs> per attempt. Zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. So, like, when they've wanted to throw the ball early in games, he hasn't been that good at it. And, you know, granted, a lot of that is, uh, you know, offensive philosophy. Like, you, they're never going to be confused with a pass-first team. But when they want to do it, like, he, when he's been on point, that is when the offense has functioned at its at its best. And when he hasn't, that's when games have tended to be a little closer for comfort. And so that I think is going to you know, do a lot to just sort of determine whether or not the Rams are able to hang around in this game. I think they can partially because Wyoming's not blowing anybody, anybody out. So look at most of their wins, like even throughout the whole year, I know the Illinois loss looks better because they're not, they're actually pretty good. But a lot of their last wins are, excuse me, three points over Tulsa. The BYU game was pretty close until that fourth quarter. The San Jose, mm-hmm. like the, those are only double digit losses. All the losses are double digits, but BYU BYU game was pretty close. But the Mexico, Utah State, Hawaii, 
reasonably close games, like 27-14 versus New Mexico. I, I, I put that in the category. They're two touchdown wins, so it's kind of complaint. They won by two touchdowns, but they're not, their offense isn't made to blow somebody out. And then Hawaii was only by seven, but on the road to Hawaii, that kind of makes sense. My point getting is that they, when you're playing New Mexico and even Hawaii, you should be winning by probably more than those amount of points. Mm-hmm. So, CSU falls in that same category, obviously. So, well, I mean, they're not going to score 40 points. Like, they're, they've done it once this year. And that was a Tulsa game that went to a couple overtimes. Northern Colorado only 33 points. They snuck out versus Air Force. They, when, not that the Rams could score and do points, but I just, that's why I think it could be closer than people would think this should be. You got a rivalry game. It is on the road. So it really could be like a 20 to 10 game, partially because Wyoming's offense isn't explosive enough. And then scoring 27 points per game, essentially the past month, just about, or man, 24, 24, somewhere in that range, 24, four mm-hmm. times, 16 once, you're scoring points the past five games, enough points, but it's not a blowout fashion, but maybe I'm talking circles here, but I just, I think that's why this game could be close and that will give CSU a chance where Wyoming's not going to boat race him, get out to a 21 to three lead at halftime. It might be scoring yeah. seven points a quarter where it's seven to three, 14 to 10, something along those lines where the Rams feel like they're score wise within the game, but the game flow will favor Wyoming heavily, especially with their running back situation. If Peasley can get 55%, which he's done that here or there, but I just don't think this will be like a massive blow. They Rams may lose by two touchdowns, but it won't be for, it'll come down, I think, to the fourth quarter for how the Cowboys play. And again, Torrey Horton, he's a really good wide receiver. Get him involved, get a couple deep throws, he scores touchdowns. That might keep the Rams involved in this game, or definitely would if that happens. So, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the thing, one of the other things that I think is going to play a major factor in this game is can Wyoming bounce back from a relatively quiet performance from its pass rush last week mm-hmm. against Hawaii? Because you know the young guys they have on the defensive line. They've been playing great this year, and it feels like a lot of people outside of Laramie aren't really talking a lot about them, especially the, the defensive entry of Devon Harris, Oluwase Omotosho, Braden Siders. 17 combined tackles, or not combined tackles, combined sacks between that trio. And that's not that's to say nothing of Jordan Burdignall in the middle with three sacks, Gavin Meyer, who stepped up big time with uh, Cole Godbout being banged up for most of the year. He has two and a half sacks. And this is still a Colorado State offensive line that has, as recently as last week, has had its lunch eaten on multiple occasions. So if if that defensive line can get back to, you know, putting in work like they had for you know, most of the last month before that, you know, especially against like New Mexico and Utah State, 19 combined uh, TFLs in those two games, and I think 12 combined sacks, you know, there's six each. Uh, against the Lobos and Aggies, that's where it could be a long evening for Clay Millen and company. But if they can't, if Millen gets time to throw, you know, we've seen glimpses of what this offense can be. You know, get pushing the ball down the field to Horton, pushing the ball down the field to Justice Ross Simmons and other guys like that. So it's it's I want to say that's an advantage Wyoming, but it's not an ironclad one based on what we've seen in over the last month or so, it can be a little bit hit or miss. And if it's miss, that's where Colorado State could hang around a little more than a lot of people might suspect. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like Millen has time. Like we like that's why early in the year he's been throwing those short passes. Like there's no time. So yeah. right. Like if Wyoming pass rushes and like you mentioned he gets time. There's 
Again, Torrey Horton's one of the best receivers in all of college football. Wasn't he added to the semifinalist list of the Blitnikoff or something this week? Blitnikoff award, yeah. So he's leading the conference. Like, he's a guy, if we were talking about best players in the conference, like, he, with his six touchdowns and his 15, 16 yards per pass attempt or pass catch. Offensive player of the year candidate, for sure. Potentially, yeah. I know no total receptions aren't there and he plays on a bad team. Like, it's, like, I'll divert the here really quick. It's literally wide open who's going to win that award. Like, Mm -hmm. You could pick maybe Brad Roberts. You can maybe pick George Solani. I think Jake Kanner is the best player, but does he play enough games to get there? Tor Horton is lightened up with leading the conference in multiple categories in uh, receiving. So it's going to be uh, Shavon Cordero at San Jose State. I don't know who it's going to be, but he's one of the best players in the conference. He'll be first team for sure. Him and probably proper, I'm guessing, maybe Cooks, depending on how that finishes out for San Jose State. But So what do the advanced numbers say? Because I think this might be reasonably close for a part of it, as I've kind of mentioned. Interestingly, they all have a relatively similar forecast. Uh, spoiler alert, they all like Wyoming. Uh, SP Plus likes the Cowboys 73% win probability, projected margin of 10.4. FEI likes the Cowboys by 10.6. And Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Cowboys a 71.34% win probability, projected margin of 32.23. Interesting. I think one we're going to cover, but I'm going to go. I'll go. It's a rival game. I'll go twenty to thirteen Wyoming. Twenty to thirteen, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so the isn't the spread eight and a half? Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh hold on. Then. Oh, I need to make a change. You can call it twenty three to thirteen. I can't. Let's do that. 24-13. Make it easier. Okay. All my right. bad. I was looking to – sorry. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, 24-13. There we go. Thank you. I think it's going to be a fist fight. Take the but under, say 42 and a half? <laughs> I, I would probably take the under. I would probably take Colorado State to cover. Interesting. Okay. But, I, but I do think that Wyoming should be able to gut it out. I'm going to say 20-17. to 17. Interesting. Okay, that's a big, it's a good rivalry. Maybe Check a, it out. Another good game, I think. Next game may not be a good game. Depends yeah. what team you like. <laughs> Boise State travels to Reno, Nevada to take on the Wolfpack. 7.30 Pacific then Reno. CBS Sports Network. A lot of CBS Sports games. We get like triple header. And then Fox has that's one true. year later. Than team you have multiple set. screens. You know where at least one of them is going to be all day. Heck yeah. Uh, 21-point favorite, over under 47. Ah, what? So we saw what Boise State did last week against BYU, pretty good team. They kind of uh, – we did we discussed that enough to recap about how what went down and who they could cover and not cover. They let it get away. They did. They didn't run it. They, for some reason, unbeknownst to most people who know what's going on or watching games, like I'm not saying coaches don't know what's going on, but – there's a weird reason they didn't run the ball with George Tony more than they should have. I don't get what was going on. And they need to get back to that because they're when they're good, look what happens. He runs the ball quite well, and that's what they need to do because I know they could win with Taylor Green being fine. Like, he's doing pretty good. He's been, what, six touchdowns. But Halani is the guy. When he does well, they win, and they, they win pretty easily. And they don't need him this game, but it's just, just give him the ball. Let him get back. Let him try to get to 1,000 yards. He had 73, but took 20 freaking carries to get there. No, he had two touchdowns, but it wasn't, I guess maybe not for lack of trying. Maybe I should rephrase that. I'm just surprised he didn't do a better job overall. 
Because mm-hmm. I for some reason I thought he had like maybe fifteen or twelve carries. I didn't realize he had twenty. But if you look at the stat line, oh, a couple of touchdowns, seventy three yards, but it's three and a half yard just this could be three point seven yards per carry. He was technically only game worse, really, but being healthy wise was New Mexico. And he's needs to get back to nine yards a carry, seven yards a carry, four and a half yards a carry. Like he needs to get a hundred yards, and I think that's should be one of their checkmark goals they have in this game. Like, all right, we're playing Nevada. What goals can we achieve in this game? Because honestly, we should achieve probably ninety six percent of these. So if if you're Nevada, then if you're a Wolfpack fan, what do you want to see? Don Peterson swallow the bowl. I don't know. Um, their running, their quarterback play honestly has been a bit better. Like they've improved a little bit passing the past little bit. And with yeah, Boy, I would agree with that. And so that's something to look forward to. And we saw a Jaron Hall, who's but he's really good last week, just kind of light up the secondary. But they also have one of the best receivers in the country in Puka Nakua, and. You have Nevada has that's where I think there could be the most damage done because we got Don Peterson we mentioned, but I think passing is what I think there's a potential for them to make some. A, I don't want to say noise, but as a ripple, the best way to put it. Like, well, how do I phrase this properly in context where it's not like they're going to be awesome? But BJ still needs to get involved more. That's something they could do. Find him down the field, see what he can do. But I think that's one way where they can then show been showing improvement where they'd be able to be fine and move the ball a little bit. Toa Tau is okay running the ball. But I think passing is I want to see them get done because Boise's been a little suspect in that area against certain teams. And I know it's not Jaron Hall. They don't have the the most elite quarterback in the conference. I'm kind of being kind because they've been switching through Nate Cox and everybody. But it's uh, that's probably the one area if you want to see, hey, Nevada, here's what I want to see. I think that's an area – where they could uh, get get stuff done. It's I don't know. It's I'm kind of stretching here, but it's like I guess that's what they could do. I don't know, Matt. It's like it's it's not a good football team, and then we're trying to be nice, but I don't know, man. I'm try- is, that, <laughs> is it not being nice walking around to see what, we, what they can do? Because there's not a ton they can do well in this in this this game. I mean, I really do think it's going to come down to whether or not the quarterback situation can progress. And 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 if you believe Chris Murray of Nevada Sportsnet, it seems like Shane Ellingworth is going to be the guy down the stretch. We hope so. And so I think it is worth noting that, you know, last week against a pretty good San Jose State defense, it was his best overall game of the season. You know, completed 62% of his throws you know, 7.7 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception. Like it wasn't the flashiest performance, but I would say it was, you know, miles better than what Nevada had been getting from its passing game for long stretches throughout the year. And so, you know, how well he meshes with, you know, the other guys, you know, sort of stepping up, I would imagine, um, into sort of more prominent roles. You mentioned BJ Castile. What about a guy like Delavon Campbell, mm-hmm. who, could be, who could represent a potential matchup problem at six foot four for this Boise State, you know, secondary. I'm not going to say that they have like the advantage here because I think it's, it's still very clearly a situation where Boise State could just as easily like, bounce back from last week's disappointment and sort of reassert itself on that side of the ball. But I do think if they're going to win this game, it's going to be because Illingworth has another solid to, to better than that kind of game. I like, I don't think he can take a step backwards if Nevada wants to survive in this one. Yeah. It survives the right word to put it, right? <laughs> what do you mean surviving? Like 
keeping it within three touchdowns. Yeah, basically. I like what what honestly, what is there to say? If the quarterback play one and do better, they have a couple of decent guys. Like Nevada has a couple of players, but there's like what yeah, you're right. What should we want to see? Because breaking down positions is going through, it's like there's no point. Boise's gonna roll in this game. It is a rivalry game. They're undefeated league, but I think I now they still can't clinch. The only way they clinch the division is if Wyoming loses and they win. I think that's mm-hmm. how they would clinch if I'm correct. Because they would be They'd be six and zero with two games left. Wyoming would be four and two. They'd still play each other, probably not technically one hundred percent mathematically clinch. I look and see. So I think there could be a way because of Boise when I lose, they could technically. Oh no, I don't. I'm speaking the circle. I need to write my article on that, not just talk about it. But they'd basically clinch if Wyoming loses the game and Boise wins. There's not yeah, much I mean, more that could be done. It'd be hard. The the other key too is you know Nevada sort of you know, at least early in conference play, they got beat up a little bit in terms of like their, their ability to defend the run. Yeah. But one of the, th- one of the things that they can, they have been able to count upon for the most part is, you know, their stuff rate, their opportunity rate still isn't as bad as you might suspect, despite getting beaten up. Like they've been pretty consistent as far as their ability to generate TFLs. And I think the key for them in this game, especially given what we've seen, you know, from Boise with Green, Holani, and Ginty out of the backfield, is you know, can the Wolfpack hold on to those gains that they had last week against San Jose State in particular? Because let's not forget, they shut Kyrie Robinson down too. Ten TFLs in that game. Yeah, you, know, you hold mentioned on, wait, you're, Peterson. You're wait, wait, you're boasting they shut down Kyrie Robinson. Come on, man. I mean, the, uh, given what they had done in the <laughs> month before that, okay. Not, I mean, I do think it's I because mean, again, you know, they got they got beat up by Air Force, they got beat up by Avery Morrow, they got beat up a little bit by Dedrick Parson and and uh, and Tylen Hines. So they were able to sort of bounce back, and they had probably their best overall performance of the year in that regard, defending the run. And I do think, like, I'm not going to say that it's it's a uh, a guarantee, let's say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, given that Boise State, like you mentioned, did scuffle a little bit last week against BYU in that regard. You know, Dom Peterson, and we didn't even mention that, you know, a guy like Drew Watts, who's very quietly had a pretty good year himself. You know, he's up to eight TFLs. He's been rem- remarkably consistent. He has at least one TFL in the last eight games. I didn't even realize that. Interesting. That's that's pretty good quality. Like, yeah, he's sort of cemented himself as as maybe a key piece that Nevada can build around on that side of the ball. So, I mean, there is something there where if Nevada can frustrate what Boise State wants to do on the ground, they might be able to hang out a little bit longer. But again, again, easier said than done. (laughs) A lot lot of ifs. Let's put it this way: there's a lot more qualifiers for Nevada to 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 hang around in this game. Yeah. Um, As far as advanced stats. Perhaps not surprisingly, they all like Boise State. SP Plus likes the Broncos, 88% win probability, projected margin of 20.4. FEI likes the Broncos by 18, and Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Boise State a 91.44% win probability, projected margin of 33 to 14. What do you say? I do think Boise State's going to win this one pretty comfortably. Um, what's the spread on this one again? 21. It seems like the kind of game Nevada might backdoor cover. 
Really? Like, I don't think it's going to be close. But I do think that they might spoil some bets in Vegas on this one. So it's going to be 38-20 or something? Come on. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to take that. Yeah, (laughs) 38-20. Let's go with that. I need to double check what I put in our – let me check my document here because the over-under is 47. I think Boise – Boise might be able to get down on their own. Look what Boise said. Didn't they score like 40-something points recently a couple games ago? Trying to uh, yeah, I believe so. I'm tr- I I would be quicker, but my finger has issues, and so I can't double tap or scroll down like I want to, so I'm pulling up my phone here. I want, so they I scored 49 Boise's... against Colorado State. And who's better than CSU or Nevada? Not much. I, they're going to cover and easily. It's good. No no issue. Dude, okay. it's going to be 40 to 10. It's going to be a right, I mean, be close. The best game of the weekend, potentially, I think this one will be pretty good. San Jose State, oh, at San Diego State, FS1, 830 Mountain, 730 Pacific. It is a shocker that San Diego State is not on CBS Sports Network, so there's that to consider as well hmm. because it's been a long time they have not uh, always been on that for the night slot. One thing I want to know, Matt, are, is uh, the broadcast crew going to be on site because FS1 has not been doing that very much this year, which is annoying. Good question. But, yeah, Spartans are a two-and-a-half-point road favor over under 40.5. Aztecs uh, fight for bowl eligibility if they win. And this game is big, too, because Aztecs basically eliminated UNLV from winning the division, basically. But mm-hmm. now, San Diego State winning would put them at a tie in the loss column with two if they could beat the Spartans. And then it would kind of uh, it'd be a little bit of an interesting if anybody can catch Fresno, because Fresno is obviously doing quite well. So it's a big game for the Aztecs if they want to get back to the, net, to the not national title, excuse me, conference title game. And again, it comes down to like, I'll say it's boring to say, but Spartans, they need, you mentioned Kai Robinson last game. They shut him down. They need him to do something. It's been hit or miss for that offense underground game. Like, Sherman Cordero's fine. Elijah Cook's fine. Really good. They should be able to move the ball. It's just a broken record. If the, if the running game can get going, like the Spartans, well, with that, it's, that's how they can win games. But the past couple weeks, they've not been blowing out teams. They've been hanging around. Outside of the UNLV game, which they're injured when they, Rebels were hurt 40 to 7, they did hang around versus Fresno, which is a good performance, which I believe they had their backup quarterback still in that particular game in Logan 5. But versus Nevada and CSU, they're only winning 35 28, 28 16. They're not, this isn't an offensive team I thought it would be earlier on, earlier on or heading into the season, which is fine, but they're letting all these bad teams hang around. And Aztecs aren't a bad team. They're a team, obviously, where Look at the interceptions they had last week versus UNLV. Their offense's running game is not great either. With the uh, Jaden, with the cube, what's his name? Maiden back Jaylen quarterbacks Maiden. are. I want to say Maiden Jalen. Like that is not right. What am I getting his name backwards for? All the quarterback changes. It's yeah, something weird. I'm like, wait, no, got it. But he's throwing way better, and that's how they're going to win. Which is shocker to say. Aztecs might win by throwing the ball, Matt. That's my big thing for this particular game with Maiden. What he's been doing, but. Spartan's offense isn't explosive as it has been, which kind of makes sense for who they have. And so that's how Aztec is going to hang around where it's going to be a low scoring game because Maiden been sacked 10 times, which isn't good. And Bahoko, Kate Hall, all the guys that Spartans have, that's going to be a problem for the Aztecs if Maiden gets sacked they, and they don't get the running game going because Joe Jordan Bird leads the league or leads the team with only 363 yards. And we're what, freaking week 10? Week 11? They've scuffled. They're not good. So if, if I think I'm kind of flipping around here, but it's going to be a low scoring game, which makes sense for defensively for what both teams can do. But I think I'm giving the Spartans the edge because 
If they can get the Maiden, because he's been like I've been sacked ten times. He's been sacked basically once every eleven dropbacks. So if he drops back thirty three times, he might get sacked three times this game. And but I think the Spartans rush defense is better than what they've seen in the minute, better than UNLV and others. But if they can't get the ball running the game going for San Diego State, if Maiden I think Maiden will put up some yards potentially. Like we saw what Jesse Matthews can do. When he gets the ball, he makes freaking plays. For, and then also have Tyler Shavers back there as well. Both those guys are doing amazing things. But Essex needs some sort of rumble to the running game to keep that Spartans offense or excuse me, Spartans defense, you know, honest and have to okay, I guess we have to defend the pass at some point and or the run and just kind of not let Essex be one dimensional, which usually we'd say they're running the ball to one dimensional. They're gonna try to run and we know they're gonna attempt to do the running game, running thing and get it going, but Spartan rush defense is going to slow him down, and then if, if it's on Maiden's shoulders to win, I don't know if they can get it done. I don't trust him essentially, even though he's doing quite well. But only three interceptions, but he just gets sacked too many times. So I'm glad. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I think we haven't really been talking enough about how awesome the Spartans' defense has been this year. It's been quite. You know, one of the things that that uh, Max Olson over at the athletic likes to put out every so often. I think he does it every week is the idea of stop stop rate. rate. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who are uh, uninitiated, it's basically just, you know, how often teams are generating three and outs, correct? Yes. San Jose state is currently fourth in the country in stop rate. 78.6%. Would you like to know the three teams ahead of them, ahead of the Spartans? Um, just I was gonna guess, but go for it. I'm blanking for some reason. Michigan team. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, Iowa. Are they up there? Maybe. Uh, well, Iowa's eighth. Okay, top ten. Okay, uh, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna read this down to you, ten to one. Louisville is ten. Another surprise. Okay. Alabama wow. is nine. Okay. Iowa's eight. Iowa yeah. State is seven. Georgia mm-hmm. is six. Only six. Okay, I thought they'd be higher. Marshall's five. Whoa, Your crazy. San Jose State Spartans are fourth. Ohio State is three. Illinois two. Michigan one. Okay, gotcha. A couple of Big Ten teams. Trio of Big Ten teams. And they've done that because, I think in large part, because the, the, the pass rush in particular, so Billy Amifahoko, Cade Hall, have come to life in the last month or so. The Spartans are now number one in the country with a 12.2% team sack rate. Which I think coming into the year, you would have guessed that the Aztecs might be a little closer to that. And Jonah Tobias had some nice games over the last month or so. But we've talked about how the Aztecs, you know, other than, you know, last week's defensive you know, turnover fest, notwithstanding against UNLV, they haven't quite played at the same level. That's why, you know, by SP plus, for instance, San Jose State is actually better than the Aztecs in that regard. You know, the Spartans are 41st. San Diego State's 51st on that side of the ball. The trick in this particular game is that they are uncomfortably similar on offense in a lot of ways. So, for instance, we talked earlier about how both Fresno State and UNLV have struggled to protect the quarterback. That is also true of both teams in this game. You know, They're both in the triple digits in terms of sack rate allowed. San Diego State's at 8.3%. San Jose State's at 9.2, but that even extends, as you mentioned, to struggles running the football as well. You know, they're both bottom 10 teams, surprisingly enough, in stuff rate allowed. 
you know, 22.7 for San Diego State, 21.9 for San Jose State. So one out of every five run plays is getting stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. That's also true about explosive plays on the ground. Spartans are dead last on offense. And, and San Diego State's a bottom 10 team there as well. So that's all a long way of saying that I, I think I sort of agree with you. It's going to come down to the quarterbacks in this game. And and what and I know that you expressed your uncertainty about Maiden and his ability to, you know, maybe it'll lead a comeback if need be. But we just saw last week, he took a lot of punishment from the Rebels, as we mentioned, six sacks, 11 yeah. TFLs. But they generated explosive plays, thanks to Jesse Matthews, thanks, thanks to Tyrell yeah. Shavers. So I do think, like, even though on paper the Spartans might have an advantage, I think that Maiden has shown enough in his brief stint as a starter that it could probably go either way. It's more of a coin flip than anything else because it could just as easily be that Siobhan Cordero also throws his way into two or three interceptions in this game, the same way that Doug Brumfield did last week. True. I just referring to him being sacked and not leading the play. I think he can do it, but I just wonder if because just because of Spartans' uh, pass rush. Like I, but think I do, he's... I do. The offensive line play is going to be massive for both yeah. teams in this game. Both teams, yeah, because we we know Asics have defensively and what they can do. And they're going to slow things down. This will be. Like, I I would assume this game would be very similar to last week's game when UNLV State to State fourteen to ten. I think it'll be raced to twenty points. Sort of, sort of like last year's contest. What was last year's? When score? you think about it. I believe that was the triple overtime game that ended up being 16 to 13. What? I don't recall that. That's yeah, that amazing. was when after Nick Starkle got hurt and they said the, the Spartans had to start Nick Nash. Oh. And, and neither team was able to get anything. I don't think it's going to be that rough. 19 to 13 it, double overtime last year. But I do think that it, there there is another opportunity for the star defenders on both sides. So not just Bahoko and Hall, but also. You know, your, you know, your Tobias, your, you know, Sidarius Barfields, your, your, uh, you know, Desjon Malone's, Patrick McMorris. Any one of those guys can make a key play to swing this game. Uh, so if, if nothing else, Jeremy, I know you're an offensive guy. I I am that, but that I think is why this is probably the game of the weekend. Hey, I enjoyed the UNLV San Diego State game immensely. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I know. Can I know? No, we have to mention out there because Dan and Fresno blames me of being. Only offensive guy only. But this this will be this game and I think going back to the Friday game as well will be a pretty good one too. So what's our final game? Is it Hawaii, Utah State? We didn't give the we didn't give our predictions yet. Oh, I thought we oh sorry. I have one step ahead. What's the no. prediction wise? Let's go for it. Sorry. We've got to go for projections first, too. Um I which know. uh not SP bad. SP plus does like San Jose State, but not by much. Uh 54% win probability projected margin of only one point six points. Uh, FEI also likes the Spartans, a little more breathing room there, 9.2 between the two teams. Okay. And, uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives San Jose State a 72.54% win probability, projected margin of about 31 to 23. What do you say? I think I'm going to take the Aztecs in this one. Outright as well? Home, yes. home win? Ooh, yes. Right. Looking at our Google Doc at the moment, you're the only one who's picking Aztecs went out right, so you're on an island by yourself out there, just so you know. I mean, I think it's going to be a defensive fist fight. I definitely. think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. I would definitely take the under. 
I think the Aztecs are going to, I think the Aztecs are going to pull it out. I'm going to say 17 to 13. I'm in the same range as you, but I'm going the other way. I think Spartans will get it'll be twenty to thirteen for San Jose State. You know who's going to be the MVP of this game? I think. Who do you got? Jack Browning. Ooh, okay, game winning kick possibly. Because I, I do think like field position is going to be a big, a big yeah, factor in this game as well, yeah. and yeah, and both. and special teams is something that to this point in the season has favored the Aztecs. Good call. That could be it. Yeah, if they get the field position and if they could figure out some sort of running game, that also is a key to. We mentioned you mentioned field position, mentioned defensive line, but I think whichever team honestly runs better is going to win because both teams have been inconsistent running the ball, and that could play a big big part of it too. I would agree. Final game: Hawaii hosting Utah State. It is uh, eleven Eastern. What's it? Uh, Hawaii doesn't do time change, so is it still six p.m. 10 Hawaii time? Pacific. I no, believe no, no. it is uh, 8 6 p.m. You are correct. 6 p.m. local. 8 p.m. Pacific, not 10. Oh, why is it 10 p.m. on? It says 10 p.m. on College Press Box for some reason. College Press Box, why are you, why are you dealing with Central Time? What's you're going on? Me down. You're letting me down. Anyway, 9, 9 p.m. Mountain Time, too, for you Aggies fans out there. Better than 10 o'clock. <laughs> no, typically. There you go. Uh, 11.5 point favorite for Utah State. Cooper Lagaz is obviously back for game number two. And I think, man, I'm pretty sure the weather's not going to be sideways rain in this matchup like it's in Honolulu for the weekend. So it should Probably be a nice not. 79. And looks like, well, I guess the sun will be going down at some point, but uh, no, no precipitation. Scattered the, showers. The oh, there is scattered showers? My, okay. I'm reading. Okay. Okay. Not sideways cold wind. So they'll have a nice trip. So it's funny. I know the yeah, guy no, who does it, it might be It might be a warm wind because it does say breezy with a northeast wind of uh, 11 to 15 miles per hour. It, it may okay. not be like it was, uh, what was it, at Ohio State Northwestern last weekend? Oh, geez. On the lake? Lake wind? No, no, thank you. Where you but throw it, the ball it and it comes be back a, to you? It might be a subtle factor. You never know. Okay. For that 48-yard field goal, the flag whipping up high. Exactly. So it is, it is funny. I know, the, I know the guy who does a play-by-play for Utah State, and he flies with the team playing and everything. I think I could say this. I'll say it regardless. Nobody listens to our show, right? But it's just funny. They, people they listen stop. to our show. I'm kidding. <laughs> I apologize to people that listen. Uh, no, but it's no secret. They're, they stop in San Jose State as part of their trip, so they're doing their walk through the, through the terminal. It's like, all right, get out, stretch your legs. Let's work on some plays. So that's always an interesting fact. When you go to Hawaii, you got to make things interesting to figure things out to – Stretch legs and still technically the air quote practice in this game and for the game. But 11 and a half points for a team that's four and five. Utah State desperately needs to win if they want to go to a bowl game. They have, mm-hmm. again, Cooper Lagarde back again for after concussion. He played okay versus New Mexico at that one, what, 30 something yard strike to get a touchdown to lead the way for the opening score. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be the big difference in this game, which is like, duh, the quarterback, he's really good. When he plays, he's healthy. And Hawaii, as we know, is sitting at two and eight, not ideal. And for them, is, do we know an update? Dedrick Parsons, does his health improve for this game? Is he suiting up? Do we know that? I have not seen much of anything in that regard. Because that, as we both know, that's a, a clear reason to lean toward Hawaii if he's out there full strength. Yeah, I mean, he did play a little bit in the second half, so I would imagine like maybe he got banged up. You know, I I heard, maybe I they maybe they were playing it safe because it was. Uh, uh, you know, something of a blowout in that in that game last week. Exactly. But even without him, 
you know, it did give a little more run to Tylen Hines, we mentioned in passing earlier, who has really come on strong kind of late. You know, over the last month or so, he's taken on you know a little a little more work. You know, he's he has double digit carries in three of the last four games. And interestingly enough, he's you know played pretty well. Like for the year, he's averaging seven point six yards per carry. Interesting. And if you look at what he's done on a game by game basis, it's not like one or two carries is really skewing it either. You know, last week against Fresno State, even despite the blowout, he had eleven carries for seventy nine yards. And so I think that is going to be a focal point for your Utah State defense that, you know, th- despite missing a handful of starters last week, you know, I think, you know, uh, MJ Tafisi was banged up. Kervin Hall was suspended, if I remember correctly. You know, Byron Vaughn's has been a little bit banged up lately. We, we already knew that yeah. they had, you know, injury issues on the defensive line. So, like, they answered the bell against the limited Lobos offense last week, and they played a great game. And I think they're going to find a, a, a Hawaii offense that's motivated to sort of bounce back from last week's disappointment at Fresno State because over the last month or so, like the Hawaii offense has been better. Like, you know, they managed a close loss at Wyoming, or excuse me, at home versus Wyoming, close loss on the road at Colorado State. And a lot of it is going to, I think, come down to not just Hines and Parson, but like, can Braden Shager take a, another step forward? Because you know, he hasn't been the most efficient guy just, you know, since being named the starter, more or less. You know, the last two weeks, he's completing basically 50% of his passes. They haven't had that explosive element like they sort of hinted at in in sort of the two or three weeks prior to that. But if he can rediscover that against a sort of a banged up Utah State defense, then it might be competitive, but it may also be that, you know, Utah State has more depth on that side of the ball than we might think. You know, A.J. Vongpashan has continued to play really well this year. Daniel Grzeziak has had a pretty good year. Hunter Reynolds, maybe we haven't talked enough about him. He had the big scoop and score last week. And and young guys yeah, like good. Carl Larson are stepping more into more prominent roles after flashing earlier in the year. So I do think that, like, you know, yeah, there might be a path for Hawaii to bounce back. But Utah State, on defense in particular, like they've they've weathered the storm, and I think they should still have the advantage against this Hawaii offense. Yeah, I, I totally think they can do it because Hawaii's not a great team overall. Like when we see what Hawaii's done, like offensively they do a little bit of shaker and Parson be healthy and receiver. Like when they begin healthy um, receiving group and everybody, they're uh, what's the best way to put it? Adequate, I guess. Outside of the Fresno State, which no, it's fine. Nobody expect that, but they put up 31 points versus Nevada. They often didn't move the ball. They hang close with CSU. They put up 20 versus Wyoming. So they're okay. They, there's a chance they could do it because Utah State. There, I wonder if people are still, maybe it's me myself included, are thinking about Utah State getting their butt kicked by Weber State and Alabama in the past couple weeks where they've been playing. Yeah, I mean, probably four string quarterback playing uh, Davenport was playing QB, and so they're they're. FPI gives him a 63% chance to win. My buddy who works at Utah State, different guy, he's like, he's, the, he's very fearful of Utah State not winning this game. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't get his fear of them not winning this game when Cooper Lagarde gets game number two back against a defense that's not as good. Yes, you're on the road long flight, but this defense, the defense they're facing is much easier than playing versus New Mexico's defense. And Hawaii's off. And like you mentioned, Bonk Pachon and 
everybody for Utah State's defense and Hunter Reynolds, who's one of the better um, guys in the secondary in the conference. I don't see too much wiggle room for Hawaii being able to put up at least even 20 points to win this game. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. Like Utah State on the on the aggregate is still below average in terms of like points per drive allowed on defense. You know, they're only 83rd in the country, 2.35 points per drive on the whole. But the reason that I think this could be a big game for the defense, and, and I would say by extension for Stephen Cottonley, the punter as well, mm-hmm. is they're actually like when they force opponents into longer drives, they've actually been pretty solid. And so that, you know, the numbers are skewed a little bit because they're actually just outside the top 50 in terms of points per drive when when opponents begin inside their own 20-yard line in particular. In the 52nd overall, I believe it's like one, I'm having to scroll back down, 1.39 points per drive. Conversely, that is really where Hawaii has struggled. You know, when you force them to string together long drives, the Warriors are only 112th in the country in that same regard on offense, 0.71. And, and you know, that's not to, that's to say nothing of the fact that they're still 117th overall in points per drive. So, even if the offense is sort of hit or miss in the same way that it was last week, the defense should be good enough where if they can force Hawaii to sort of have to march down the field, you know, they might be able to force the Warriors into a turnover or, you know, even if they, you know, even if they force like one or two first downs and then a, and then a punt over the course of 60 minutes, that might turn into a substantial field advantage where, you know, they can set up Connor Coles for a short field goal. They can, you know, punch it in from like a 60-yard drive as opposed to an 80-yard drive or something like that. So I do think that even if it is, even if they play like a C-plus kind of game on offense, they should still have the talent to be able to put Hawaii away. True, yeah. I, I think they will. I like Hawaii hang around because of where they're playing location-wise. Utah State, there are some flaws because they've been – They've been playing better of late, but there's still a couple lingering things just from they're four and five for a reason. You know what I mean? It's not like mm-hmm. just because it's all injury wise. It hasn't been the year that they envisioned. Yeah, definitely not. But I still, I'm still leaning like Utah State should win this game. What did advance the in this matchup then? Because this line is what eleven? What I say eleven point five, eleven and a half points. So they all favor the Aggies. Um, SP Plus likes Utah State seventy percent. Excuse me, seventy two. Percent win probability projected margin of 10 points. FEI also likes the Aggies by 15.7. And then Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives Utah State a 71.17% win probability projected margin of about 28 to 20. What do you think is going to happen? Some, is somebody, can somebody get to 30? I don't think so. <laughs> I think I would probably take the under. I would probably also take Hawaii to cover. I think that's but I do think too. Utah State should win this one pretty comfortably because the spread is what eleven and a half. Yes, and, but they beat you beat beat New Mexico, included the defensive score by what seventeen points? Was it twenty seven ten? So that's yes. a bit kind of fluky ish. So I do think Utah State's going to win pretty comfortably, probably by like nine or ten points. Um, I've got the Aggies winning. I'm going to say twenty seven to seventeen. I think he does still cover, but it'll be I'll go twenty four twelve, just barely. All right then. Low scoring game, like there's no way 
to get to 52, that's like, I don't get where that's coming from at all. <laughs> right. They might be envisioning like a 28 to 24 kind of game or something like that. I think Utah State's too good against this Hawaii second, Hawaii, excuse me, just defensive general, not even secondary, but everything overall. So mm-hmm. anything else to add about this weekend? We have every game's in progress. We'll have updates and more clarity on who's going to potentially face off in the Mountain West title game. That'll be good to see. It's going to be a fun weekend. It will be. All right, so check us out, mwr.com, to read everything we put up this week. Um, road to the title game, predictions, best bets, all that great stuff, previews, reaction. And so check us out there. We'll be back um, Sunday to recap all the set of games. So subscribe if you haven't. If you made it this far and you're, hey, we haven't subscribed yet. Where do we find the show? And you just click on my Twitter link to find it. We tweet out. No, just go subscribe so it's easier. And you'll get it sooner because this past week, Matt, our recap, stuff happened. And so it only went to our feed. I did not put an article on the website. So if you're like, where to go? Well, if you subscribe, Matt, you know where it is. You find it right there. Exactly. So we'll see you next time, folks.